a better future podcast, building a better future, one change at a time. Welcome to a better future podcast. I'm Corinne. I'm here with Jay. Jay, and we are remember <laughs> down today. There's no Sash. She uh, couldn't make it today, so just the two of us. But we are doing a climate change special. Absolutely. Following uh, on from the protests in London this week and the week before. And the week before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we wanted to talk about that, uh, both myself. But Jay uh, actually went and did the protest back in November last year. Yeah, I think I kind of alluded to that in one of the earlier podcasts. Yeah, so maybe you can give us a little chat about your, your yeah, experience we can talk back about in that. November. Um, and you can talk about this week... Um, we've got an interview with um, James Dyke, who I met at Southampton University, now works at Exeter. Um, so we've got a really nice interview with him, talking about the science. And It's a really um, good interview. Oh, it covers everything. It's yeah. really good. Um, want to know your staff. Listen to James. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he talks about his film and all sorts of things. So, yeah, we we kind of have a listen to that and then have a bit of a chat about that. But yeah. we've talked about climate change in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the main reasons why we're doing this podcast. Yeah, but we're kind of a little bit fueled up, aren't we? And we kind of want to talk about actually what big changes that you can make. Um, and obviously how, you know, you can get involved in maybe creating a bigger change as well. You talk about November and then I'll talk about this time. Okay, so I think I might have said in a previous episode, but um, obviously I've been working on environmental stuff for a very long time, and well, it feels like a long time. Um, and I think it was everything kind of came together last year with the IPCC report, which kind of talked about. I think a lot of people talk about this twelve years, mm-hmm. um, and that was around the time of the tenth anniversary of the Climate Change Act. Yeah, and I kind of looked back and I was like could I do another 10 years of that and Mm -hmm. would that be enough um and is there more that I can kind of do um and I wasn't really happy with the answer to that so um a friend of mine was going up for um the first kind of um climate change protest thing and I'd never been to anything before I've never been to a march um so I sort of thought about it all night really wasn't sure whether I was going to do it or not. You're literally the same as me. So I've never been to a pro- uh, protest either. So, and I was like, felt the same as you. I was up one morning at 5am thinking, making all the excuses in the world as to why I couldn't go. And then I was like, I have to go. I just have to go. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, and I, I kind of, feeling. I think that was, yeah, that was what kind of urged me on a bit. And so I met my friend and went up to London mm-hmm. Um and we were um, part of one of the groups that kind of walked onto one of the bridges in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a really interesting day. It was quite an experience. I obviously was never going to get myself <laughs> arrested. Um, I think one of the things that held me back a bit was just how much I can do at work and, and things. So mm. I was, uh, you know, I was Jay's no wife held me back. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was no way I was going to kind of jeopardise anything like that. Yeah. But I was just quite keen to kind of stand up and be, at least be a number and be mm-hmm. someone to kind of... Everybody counts there. Right? Yeah. That's what I took from it. Yeah, people are getting arrested and that is the point. Um, but you're not useless if you don't want to be arrested either. Yeah. No. And... 
so it's quite interesting because I, I went to that and then um, a week or so later went up for the 10th anniversary of the Climate Change Act in, in Parliament mm-hmm. and blagged my way into a thing. I think I talked about it in one of the kind of moments mm-hmm. of the week, but yeah. I sort of briefly spoke to, well, I spoke to loads of people, but I briefly spoke to Caroline Lucas and kind of said, you know, there's there's all these people protesting there, you know, it felt like it was the usual people who turn up and protest the things, mm-hmm. which is definitely not me. Um, and, you know, found it kind of weird that there, there, you know, there's thousands of people who work in the environment sector, mm-hmm. whether that's renewable energy, energy efficiency, working for big businesses, all sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're trying really hard and they really understand these issues. Um, and why aren't they kind of turning up at those kind of things? So it was it was quite interesting. And, and Caroline, in the one second I spoke to her, yeah. was like, "Well, you know, if you feel like that, you need to try and make that happen." Yeah. It was a it was a kind of go on in, do it. Yeah. Um, she went this one. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think she missed the one that I went to because yeah. um, she was. Um, doing something important mm-hmm. somewhere but I, I know she was tweeting about it and yeah, things but yeah. um my sister Sasha the, the missing member tonight <laughs> missing member. <laughs> she did uh actually turn up to see Caroline Lucas talking that's when she first if you turn it up to the process and the first thing you see is Caroline Lucas talking you'd be like oh that's good <laughs> yeah that's pretty good <laughs> um so yeah it was quite it was quite interesting and I I you know it the kind of experience of that and then the kind of parliament thing i went to Mm -hmm. and then um things have kind of stepped up a bit with work and all sorts and doing and pushed me to do the podcast and things so you know i kind of really went you know i need to make things happen myself as much as you know we've only got our own level of influence we can have individually but really try and push it as much as possible um so that was quite nice but then seeing things happen since and certainly the the kind of growth of extinction rebellion over mm-hmm. the last two weeks mm-hmm. and the the different types of people has yeah. been really heartening to yeah. see that because it was it wasn't just the usual hippies who turn up and protest yeah. things it was nearly everyone they interviewed who was being arrested was like a grandparent mm-hmm. or um you know there's climate change well over a thousand people got arrested in the end in total over this protest just just shy of the number of people that the number of suffragettes that got arrested Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. not far off and that's exactly and i'll tell you what has happened i've been following the media coverage and they were only giving it the time of day when they were doing extreme things Mm. and when i talk about extreme i'm saying you know gluing themselves to the um, financial sector uh, buildings outside there and the trains at Canary Wharf they were giving it what they're after which is the attention that it deserves so of course they're reinforcing those actions so when people say oh I think that's bad that they did that well then maybe they should be listening at an earlier stage to you know yeah. the protests rather than and waiting that- for people to have to act yeah and that's, I mean, statistically, I mean, there's been some interesting Google analytics where they've shown how many times climate change has been in the media mm-hmm. over the last six months, and mm-hmm. it's gone through the roof. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously the the um, school strikes and things, 
Um, I think they they set out to do what they did and they did it well and I'm I'm very proud to have been there and and uh, so proud of the the brave people that are willing to get arrested because it is I mean I know that it's controversial and some people aren't too keen on the idea but for me going there I realized how important it is actually to have people that are willing to be arrested yeah. for the cause because otherwise you'll very quickly all get moved on and did you cause a big deal no so you have to to yeah, cause yeah. a big deal you have to have people there that are willing to get arrested and I, I just want to if anyone out there who's listening who was there or, or wasn't there you should be thankful for those people because they're going to hopefully cause such a stink that they're going to have to do something about it yeah and you know just the the approach that was kind of taken the um you know the the one I went to, you know, the police were lovely. Oh, like, exactly here the... as well. They weren't even. Um, there was no anger. Every, there were smiles. There, they, they, at times there was frustration at, at the most, but I mean, yeah. it really was uh, very peaceful and friendly. And everyone, what was very nice. Um, so the police will speak to the organisers, and they'll ask. They say, look, we're going to start clearing the area in a minute, mm. which therefore gives the organisers time to ask the people that don't want to get arrested to move away. So, I mean, I think that's really kind. Yeah. yeah. A, what, a, what a polite protest, right? Police come in, they're going to say, right, you need to clear your lot out so that when we can do our job. And then everyone just follows that. Yeah. And I, I think it's probably a, a reflection on both the attitude of the people doing mm-hmm. the protest mm-hmm. and also that at the end of the day police you know they're human beings with children and grandchildren Mm -hmm. and they probably for the most part are just as worried about these things as anyone else so i can't remember who said it to me i can't remember it was someone at the protest or afterwards but someone said how amazing would it be if one of the police officers just sat down yeah. If they just joined, just just said, actually, these people have got a point. How much of an impact would that have made? Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, I mean, there was there awesome. was some footage of a couple of policemen raving at <laughs> one in the morning or something. Which <laughs> people, I think, the few people who clearly are in denial of climate change were were kind of thinking they should be sacked for for such thing. Um, you know they probably don't even realise they're in denial of climate change. Mm-hmm. They probably just think it's not that big an issue. Yeah. Um, Burying their head in the sand. The, um, it's, I thought it was quite interesting. There was the former Hampshire police commissioner mm-hmm. who was up at the protests and um, I think he was interviewed in one of the papers and said that he just went along just to kind of see what it was like because he'd yeah. kind of heard and um, was really impressed and kind of stayed on for the day. And he literally he said he was in London. For and me, he, that's kind of he was joining in the protest. I mean, yeah, I mean that's pretty much what he what he said. Yeah. And there, I think there was someone from a similar person from like Kent or somewhere who mm-hmm. was an ex ex commissioner or something mm-hmm. for the thing. Um, and it was yeah. So you know everyone they're all everyone's. There's been talks about you know how much um, the protest took up uh, the police's time and how much that cost and. Again, I like to bring attention to the whole point was to cause disruption. But if something had happened in London, 
they weren't having to control the protests, you know? It wasn't like they had to yeah, stay yeah. there to keep the peace. It was peaceful. And if something had happened, the police would have been able to leave to go and deal with an emergency. Yeah, and there yeah. was there was instances during the protests where there was um, people who got ill and they let ambulances through. And, yeah, yeah. You know, they're not, they're not bad people. These are good people who <laughs> actually want to help save the people, you know, well, the planet will probably be all right without yeah, us. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> who knew that people that care about other people... <laughs> and other other living beings yeah. would be nice yeah. <laughs> during know. a protest. It, it just you know doesn't make sense. Um, so I, you know, and I think that came through. And there was a lot of kind of fake news stuff about <laughs> them littering and. Yes, you know, no, I was actually there on that day where the photo was taken. So they had the I think it's called the four twenty. Uh, uh, I don't know protest. It's, is it like a cannabis thing? It or is. It is. Uh, I think once a year on the fourth of April. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not no the twentieth of April. Sorry, they uh, celebrate cannabis, and that was where all the litter was, and it was next door. And I've heard that they all went. The Extinction Rebellion team went in and cleaned that up anyway. Yeah. Because it was. It really was quite a sight of like, oh god, that's a lot of rubbish. But I knew it wasn't from them. Yeah, and it was interesting because I know Nat kind of said, oh, you know, there was a weird atmosphere, mm-hmm. not just the smell, um, mm-hmm. around that area. And I guess that's just a different group of people. And yeah. they probably thought they were going to cause all sorts of trouble doing their annual event and it was <laughs> taken up by something else. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's really interesting. And some of the stories that have been in the media about individuals and explaining why they've got to that point has been quite interesting i i i think maybe on a it was another podcast or something i had an interesting story about um someone who um got involved in the events in november i think and their dad was really kind of like no 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 this is this is not good you're quite young Mm -hmm. um and then their dad ended up getting involved and Mm -hmm. kind of really getting into it but these i mean you're this is Jay putting a positive spin on it, and I can't help but bring it back down. <laughs> Sorry, everyone, but the me- the media that like if you're if you don't seek out these stories or follow, you're going to be put pushed by. I don't know. I've, so I listen to Radio One, and I'll see the BBC News, and the way they report it is Extinction Rebellion have uh, to glued themselves to trains and causing a nightmare, and and at no point do they talk about why they're there, or they might say, oh. Uh, they protest on climate change and that's it. They don't go into it a little bit more so people will understand why yeah. they're protesting. Um, and that's bad reporting. But why are they there? Why are they protesting? Yeah. Not just saying what, what they've done. There's been some interesting um, interviews. I think some of the um, Extinction Rebellion people who ended up... I mean, it's difficult because it was a kind of organic organisation, mm-hmm. but... Um, who's who's been on BBC News and panels and mm-hmm. things like that? Um, I saw a really interesting one where someone was kind of kicking off, going, "You know, you're just entitled people." Oh no, doing that man nothing. made me so angry. He um, made me so angry. And I mean, there was one where the main Sky News presenter was that's, that's well the overstepping the line of what a presenter should do, which I think was quite inappropriate. <laughs> but um, oh the, yeah, but I said I said speak to David Attenborough like that. That man from Extinction Rebellion wasn't saying anything other than David Attenborough's been saying. Yeah. But he would never have spoken to him like that. Yeah. And he he did, that guy did well just to walk off. Yeah, but, he did. Um, there, was, there was an interesting one on, a, I think it was a BBC panel or something. And um, 
someone was kind of laying into him going, you know, you've done nothing, all you've done is kind of block the road. And he was like, I'm here now on mm-hmm. national TV talking about climate change. Like, mm-hmm. I think we've won. Yeah. Like, that was the, the main point yeah. <laughs> was to kind of get in the forefront of yeah. things. And people are trying to sell. Uh, there's also room, you know, of course there is, of the opposition sort of saying that they're in it for their own cause and they're really not these people they just want take the name away you just they're just a bunch of people who want to help help the world yeah and i'd say the people people i've seen on the news i don't know their names so they've Mm -hmm. obviously not sold themselves as these these people i've never seen them before or maybe never see them again but they you know they they were very articulate and they Mm -hmm. got their point across Mm -hmm. um and you know i think it's it's sort of worked mm-hmm. you know i don't know if anyone watched question time or or even this week on on thursday night and the every single question went back to climate change mm-hmm. it was incredible mm-hmm. like they had a discussion about brexit mm-hmm. they had a discussion about um you know politicians and all sorts mm-hmm. of stuff and it kept different audience members kept going back going you know, what's the point? Why are we talking about this when you know we're yeah. <laughs> facing it. climate it's change? It's made me really so like the, the the big bad B word. Uh, it doesn't bother me as much anymore. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Like I I am bothered by it, and I do still care what happens there. Of course I do, but I definitely had ha- I've had a little shift in my I've I've known about climate change, and now I feel like right, this needs to be kind of what we're talking about a lot more. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure there'd be more uh, protests coming up um, in the coming weeks, months, year. Uh, and all I would do is is encourage people to go and see for yourselves. You don't have to get involved. You can see, have a look from the outskirts. Uh, and also, uh, most places um, were very kid friendly. All of them mm. I, I saw children at. Um, they're, they're just mostly singing. <laughs> These people are kind people. They're handing out. Uh, you know, oranges amongst each other and all kinds of things. Yeah, it's the just, flapjack kind of um, Steve yeah. was quite... Yeah, the woman <laughs> who came round who, who brought the vegan flapjacks. Um, what a lovely lady. Because it, it was so hot as well, you know, and these people were laying on yeah, the concrete yeah. and it's just, it was hard. And, yeah, there's a few comments about uh, why there are some plastic bottles around and uh, because you cannot continue to protest without having some water in you. And I think there's a bigger issue at play. So. Yeah. I think that's the problem. With, I mean, I did have a reusable, but still, yeah. no. It's a general thing with environmental, well, with anything. It's you know you have to be within the norms of society, and mm-hmm. if you're, if you're this over the top person that walks everywhere and wears hemp clothes and never ever dares get on a bus because it might be powered by fossil fuels, mm-hmm. then then people will go won't listen to you because you're not a normal person. And then if you dared once to have yeah. got on a plane yeah. 10 years ago, then mm-hmm. how dare you talk to someone about the environment? Or there's, even there's, now. There's no option. Even now. It. So um, someone said something about, um, oh, why is her name left my memory? Steve will be so Greta. mad. No, not Greta. She got the train. The, the actress. Oh, Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. Love Emma Thompson. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and someone said to me, I bet she flew in and all this kind of stuff. And... Even if she did, that one flight in that day isn't going to, you know, she 
if she can raise awareness, her awareness in that one flight would have been worth it for yeah. the for the bigger cause later on. I'm not saying I'm not encouraging. Well, and you know, we saw her on TV a couple of days later mm-hmm. talking about some charity work she did the day before, mm-hmm. and so you know she was in the country, yeah, and doing stuff. She, I think she was doing something absolutely nothing to yeah. do with climate change. No. Um, so it, yeah. I think that's the kind of... I mean, it's interesting there wasn't too many famous people. No. Um, Nat bumped into someone she was uh, Yeah, she was really pleased yeah. to bump into um, someone she, she'd she seen on TV. Yeah. Um, you know, but they weren't... You know, it wasn't one after another no, but big name people no. kind of turning few. up. Chris Packham did make it down there, didn't he? And uh, George Monbiot, your Yeah, there's a few people. Your hero. Kind of <laughs> do love George. Um, you know... It, which was really good. I think the thing that I really liked was, um, like, that Nat went along. Because mm-hmm. Nat's quite... She's not a big fan of protests and things. Mm-hmm. I think she's kind of... Um, sees a lot on TV or, um, you know, sees stuff where there are people who just go along and protest to stuff all the time. And um, I think she was... Didn't really see the point and was kind of like, you know, this is a really important issue, but, you know, will it really make that much difference to kind of turn up and stuff? And you It know, absolutely will, and it absolutely is the only way yeah. that some change is going to happen. I'd, I, writing letters, um, I'm all for it, keep going, but it that's alone, that's not going to do it. It's just not going to. Yeah. So. And she, she well, you, you know. She, she came around quick. She, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were sort of talking about it the night before and Corinne wanted to go. Steve couldn't go because he was busy. Um, and, well, Nat sort of originally kind of went just so that you weren't going to London on your own. Yeah. Um, and I think by the time she got up in the morning the next day, when I dropped you guys off at like eight at the train station, she was chomping at the bit mm-hmm. and she really got into it yeah she's come she back with, with homemade t-shirts and yeah, stickers did, yeah. and um you know i think she it it was so much better than she imagined mm-hmm. it would be mm-hmm. um and you know she could see that there was people who are just as passionate as her about things but um weren't they were just normal people yeah and i think that's that's the tipping point mm-hmm. when it moves from being really interested people mm-hmm. um to being normal well i've seen i've seen i have seen i mean i was a bit mean about the media earlier because i have seen that there has been some coverage of gps and people working in um the environmental sector and that it would be very well respected have gone and glued themselves to things yeah to for the fight because they've they've been campaigning and doing whatever it is that they've you know, would be seen as a, I don't know, professional way of doing it. I yeah, think we yeah. called it. Um, and they're seeing no change, and they've been doing that for years. Just like you, you felt like, do I want to do another ten years of this, yeah. or is there something else I can do? Yeah. So that was, you know, really nice. So, um, should we go into yeah, the, listen I, to the interview? I think with we should James? get to get some facts from James, and then we will come <laughs> back. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> So my name is James Dyke and I'm the Programme Director of the MSc Global Sustainability Solutions at the Global Systems Institute at the University of Exeter. 
for the for the episode, I'm sure most people kind of have a, a picture about climate change, but can you give us a very brief kind of summary of what what the issues are? Okay, sure. So the the challenge that we've got at the moment is that our industrialized civilization has been built largely upon fossil fuels. So initially coal, then oil and gas. And that's developed our industries, it's improved our way of life, it's it's brought millions if not billions of people out of poverty. It's largely built the everyday world for someone who lives in an industrialised nation. So it permeates pretty much everything that we do, the way we travel, the things that we eat, the goods and products, services that we buy or use. I mean, it's literally embedded into our entire civilization, And that was great. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we've realised uh, for quite some time ago now, um, most probably about 200 years it's been since we've understood that by burning fossil fuels, we're going to be upsetting the natural carbon balance. So carbon dioxide is emitted all the time from yeah. places like volcanoes, and it gets absorbed mainly by the sea. But because we've been digging up so much fossilised carbon in the form of coal, oil and gas, we've been swamping the Earth system's natural sinks. So the Earth system just can't take this up as quickly as we've been emitting it. So the only place for it to uh, go is in the Earth's atmosphere. And so atmospheric concentrations of CO2 have been going up. As that increases, then that increases the greenhouse effect, which means that the temperatures on the land surface and the top parts of the ocean and the bottom bits of the atmosphere are going to get warmer, and that's going to change weather. And then this is the impact it's going to have on humans because hot places are going to get hotter, drier places are going to get drier, wetter places are going to get wetter because you drive a hydrological cycle more strongly. There'll be more significant storms. There's going to be more crop failures. There's going to be more sea level rise because of thermal expansion and uh, the melting of ice sheets. And all those things adds up to um, serious impacts that we're going to be facing uh, certainly by the middle of this century, if not now already. You know, we're already seeing some potentially unprecedented storms batter uh, Mozambique right now. Yeah. Now, the problem or the fundamental challenge that we've got is that we've built our civilization on fossil fuels. We know we can't continue using fossil fuels, so somehow we've got to back out this energy source from pretty much everything that we do, and we don't have much time. If we want to limit warming to no more than 2 degrees Celsius, which seems to be the generally agreed level at which point climate change becomes dangerous for the majority of humanity, yeah. then we may have as little as 20 years to effectively stop all combustion of coal, oil and gas, which when you work through what that means is most probably an unprecedented challenge that humanity has ever faced. And that's where things like the IPCC report that came out in October, is, is a lot of people say that kind of 10, 12 year deadline um, sort of comes up in those reports. Yeah, so the, the report that the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change um, sent out in uh, last year it was a special report so usually they report every four years they do these big assessments reports where they synthesize all the best evidence in terms of our physical understanding of the earth's climate how humans are affecting it and then increasingly what that means in terms of impacts on humans but they were tasked by the but essentially by international governments to produce a special report that looked at the implications of warming beyond 1.5 degrees because the Paris outcome, there was the large Paris um, International Climate Conference in yep. 2015, where for the first time we had internationally 
binding agreement to do whatever's required to limit warming to no more than two, but there was also the aspiration that we wanted to limit warming no more than 1.5 because even at 1.5 degrees Celsius, you'll see some low-lying nations literally underwater. So that was, at the time, quite surprising. It caught the scientific community, I think, on the back foot. Yeah. And, and what they did since then is they tried to assemble a special report that said, OK, so what does that mean? Well, in the first instance, or maybe the, the most important headline finding from that report or that piece of work, is that if you want to limit warming to no more than 1.5, then we now have as little as 12 years before we blow that carbon budget. So that seems an even greater challenge, which yeah. is why, for example, so, well, I think that's why there's been so much interest in negative emissions technologies, because we're not going to be able to stop emissions in 12 years. No, no. So, so increasing emphasis is being placed on um, established and entirely new technologies that are going to be able to suck out enormous quantities of carbon dioxide from the Earth's atmosphere. And uh, as you said earlier, the you know we're talking about 1.5 degrees like we're starting at zero but obviously we've we're already seen around one degrees warming since the start of the industrial revolution so it's we're two-thirds of the way there already towards that yeah right i mean uh global warming's had a bit of a head start so yeah. um so we've already warmed by a little bit over one degree Celsius. I mean, it depends on where you take the baseline. Yeah. You know, what, which date do you actually use? Is it, you know, 1750? Is it a little bit later? Is it a bit earlier? But I think the general consensus is it's about one degree Celsius since humans really started to get to grips with burning coal yeah. and then oil and gas. Uh, so, you know, we've been doing that for centuries. The, the problem is that even though we've been known for decades now certainly since the 1980s when the climate scientists started really ringing the alarm bells about this our carbon emissions haven't paused they've been going up you know they they've been accelerating so even even right now even though we know we have to if we want to limit to within 1.5 have to stop all burning within you know 12 years this year the amount of carbon dioxide in the Earth's atmosphere will be larger than it was last year and next year will be larger than this year there aren't there aren't no even any indications that that rate of increase is slowing down let alone coming down yeah and the we've kind of talked about you know the emissions kind of still going up we hear a lot of noises particularly in the uk from the government about how we've managed to kind of disconnect the economy from um from carbon emissions and that our emissions are going down and a lot of kind of finger pointing at other countries and things so you know do you feel like that's that's a fair thing to say or you know is there something else going on with our emissions here yeah so i mean to be skeptical about it or maybe even cynical there's always these levels of climate change denial there was it's not warming uh, it is warming but not as much as you think it is it is warming as much as you think it is but it's not humans it is warming as much as you think it is, and it's and it's humans, but it's not us, and so that's where we are right now. And the us is usually uh, a load of whataboutism with regards to China, right? So, what's the point of pointing the finger at the United Kingdom when we're making such strides in decarbonising our economy, whilst they're building a new power station in China every week and they're going to town on on coal? I mean, they're still generating tremendous amounts of electricity on coal. You know, we should be looking at China. We should be giving the United Kingdom a break. Yeah. Um, well, 
in the first instance, we need to understand why have emissions of CO2 gone down in the UK since, let's say, the 1990s. The most important reason is that we've switched from generating electricity from coal to gas. So that, that represents the biggest factor for why our domestic emissions have gone down. Now, you could say, well, that wasn't motivated by climate change. It was motivated by other factors. And it doesn't matter, right? As long as you get the carbon dioxide uh, emission levels down, then yeah. then that's a win. But when you when you actually look at not just the domestic emissions, but the emissions which are being generated through uh, shipping and also the production of goods, products and services, many of which are made in China, uh, then the picture just doesn't look anywhere near as rosy i mean some people argue it's been essentially flat um i think there most probably has been a total reduction but it's nothing like as much as that headline reduction rate that comes from largely the switching of coal to gas so we have significantly exported our emissions of carbon dioxide to places such as china which is becoming, you know, the manufacturing plant for the world and significant amount of energy which China consumes is still being generated by coal-fired power stations. Yeah. And I, I guess that shift in our economy from being a a industrial um, producer economy to being service-based and having, you know, all these big institutions in the city or um, providing services across the world is is part of that where we're we're not making things, but we're we're still part of the wider economy. So it's it's you know not as energy intensive. Yeah. Well. So it's the 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 thing that everyone looks for is this the the fabled decoupling. Yeah. So yeah. we can continue to grow the size of economies at the same time as make decrease the rate of carbon emissions. So there's relative decoupling, which people get excited about, where we see GDP increase, yeah. but then CO two emissions do not increase at the same amount okay but really we you need absolute decoupling you need to see whatever happens with gdp you need to see co2 emissions come down uh now it seems as if or the suspicion is that some countries abilities to decrease the total amount of carbon they emit at the same time as increasing the size of their economy is importantly determined by their ability to shift the manufacturing to other places. Um, when you actually take the global perspective, which we need to remember is the only perspective that matters, it doesn't matter if the if the carbon gets emitted in, you know, Bolton, Bangkok, Birmingham, Baltimore, right? It all affects the global climate. Yeah. When you look at the global uh, climate emissions, the global greenhouse gas emissions, they don't really show any kind of decoupling. It's still the case that our global civilization is still largely powered by fossil fuels. And that's still going to mean that as, it, as the size of the economy increases, then so will carbon emissions. Yeah. I guess the, the key thing we're sort of saying, we're, we're not doing enough. We've, we've known about this a long time. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of good ideas, a lot of plans. There's a lot more research. But we're kind of running out of time. I think people like to say that the can's been kicked down the road a little bit. Yeah. So where does that leave us now? There's certainly this week, there's been a lot of, I've never seen so much climate change in the media with, with the protest in London that, you know, if they've achieved anything, they've managed to get some pretty broad coverage. 
have we kind of got to that point? I think people talk about it being a, a, a sort of climate breakdown, an emergency. Do we need to start treating it like that? Yes, <laughs> um, we should have. We, you know, the best time to have begun the significant decarbonisation of our civilization was thirty years ago. But the second best time is now. Yeah. Because every day that we delay means we just have to do more work at some point in the future. And then actually, it's not we that have to do the work. It's going to be our children and our grandchildren, our, our future generations. Yeah. Because the longer that we delay to make these significant and sustained reduction emissions means that future generations, our kids and grandkids, are going to have to work out how to take out even more carbon dioxide from the Earth's atmosphere. Yeah. Now, some of that, it's got loads of win-wins and we should be doing anyway. So mass uh, reforestation, you know, planting tr a trillion trees, restoring wetlands and mangroves and peatlands and ecosystem restoration. And all these, all these things are good and we should be doing them for a, for a large number of reasons. But that is not going to be sufficient. We're, we're also handing future generations this massive carbon debt or a bill yeah. which they will have to pay by essentially inventing entirely new technologies which work out how to suck out carbon and then sequester sequester it and then store it most probably underground in depleted oil fields where it will have to stay for hundreds if not thousands of years and they'll have to do that they'll have to do this negative carbon emission technology capture activities not just for years or decades but potentially centuries yeah so we're signing up um, humanity uh, for something which is going to be you know unparalleled in terms of its sophistication its scope and also its cost there's been some estimates that we're looking at hundreds of trillions of dollars to run this negative emissions technology infrastructure yeah all because we can't seem to find it in ourselves right now to make the required reductions in emissions for lots and lots of different reasons so i think i think extinction rebellion and greta thunberg and the the general climate movement and the environmental movement are absolutely right to say this is an emergency it might not be an emergency for me it's really important that we understand who are going to be most affected by climate change and yeah. me as a white middle-aged middle-class man who lives in uh, one of the wealthiest nations in the world i'll most probably be all right you know uh, even if it really does kick off towards the middle of this century I'm I'm not going to be hanging around for much longer. Yeah. It's people younger than me. It's people typically non-white who live in the developing South who are going to be facing the impacts, the you know the brunt of the real force of climate change disruption. Yeah. And it's their voices and interests that we should really be taking into account. And on that basis, yes, we have every reason to say this is an absolute emergency. It's an emergency. What what do we do? What's the? I mean, there's. There's always people kind of saying, well, we, you know, we, people fly less, eat less meat. There's sort of small personal actions. But uh, I think one of the demands that um, Extinction Rebellion are talking about, this kind of zero carbon by two, you know, 2025, you know, is, is, is that feasible? Is, are there things we can do to, to get to that point? Yeah, so it's the, I think part of the challenge that we've got is that there's, I think there's a serious disconnect between what people think the challenge of climate change requires and what it actually requires. So yeah. we all have an individual responsibility. So we sh we can all 
you know change our diets we can all fly less we can all insulate our home we can turn the thermostat down we can put a jumper on we can cycle and lots of these things are good in of themselves you know it's it's healthy to cycle you'll be reducing air pollution you'll be making more livable streets and cities but that is far from sufficient now that leads some people to think well you know what difference can i possibly make i can't really do anything about this it also does work quite effectively at deflecting the requirement for our personal uh, choices or what we do as individual because then we can just say well it's all structural in it right it's all about you know government policy and and the pushing back against the effective um or the the making making onshore wind more effective you know pushing back against some kind of government policies you know yeah. deploying solar changing the way that we manufacture things so the the challenge is is that it, it's all of those things it's what you do as an individual it's what you demonstrate to other people it's the kind of values that you're showing to other people about what's important and inf- influencing their behaviors and it's also how you engage with government and tell your elected representatives what's important and push them to make those kind of structural uh, policy changes so it's pretty much everything yeah now if we're not careful that becomes completely overwhelming and when you hear Extension Rebellion say, so we're going to completely decarbonise our, our economy or at least get to net zero in six years, yeah. is you just throw your hands up. You think, <laughs> well, that's just impossible, right? What yeah. chance do I possibly have to do all these incredibly you know, ambitious and involved and obviously expensive things? It, it can, if we're not careful, lead to a sense of fatalism. Um, you know, and we just give up and then we just concentrate on what people call adaptation which is basically hunkering down and hoping for the best yeah it's certainly the case that if governments and industry and sectors of society put their mind to it we could rapidly decarbonize the uk's economy but i think what has to be discussed what has to be uh, brought out into the open is the imperative of growth because at the moment all government policies to address or tackle climate change have in them the the kind of the axiom the the foundation that whatever it is that they do they cannot change or decrease the required rates of economic growth as measured by gdp gross domestic product yeah. whatever it is you do however you're going to decarbonize your economy that economy must grow yeah. it must grow by about one percent or two percent or three percent or whatever your target growth rate is yeah now that represents a massive challenge because if if even if we we just said there is going to be no growth of let's say the global economy we have to generate you know terawatts of energy using uh, renewables so just swapping out coal oil and gas for wind wave solar nuclear perhaps if you think it's appropriate but the problem is is that every year because the economy the global economy is getting bigger you have a bigger problem yeah. so your your rate of absolute decoupling becomes larger and larger now it seems pretty obvious to me and, and to many other people I think who are much cleverer than me uh, that that's kind of an impossible job. The only way that we're going to be able to manage warming to within something like 1.5, which is a very, very ambitious target, yeah. is if you relax that assumption, you get those dead cold hands off the economy which insist that every year it must grow. Yeah. But the trouble is when you when you do that 
and you try and talk to economists or you try and talk to politicians about attempts to effectively you know stall the economy and maybe even make it smaller you come across uh, just um you're arguing that the earth is flat or there is something you know fundamentally wrong with the picture of the universe it's very very difficult but i think we are getting to the point when you will you will see look what what do you want to happen do you want to see accelerating climate impacts and the devastation of the biosphere and the impoverishment and death of maybe millions of people or do you want to have a rethink about what it is we are meant to be doing in terms of the government governance of our societies you know what kind of societies do you want so the sooner we can have those discussions these kind of grown-up sensible discussions uh the better really yeah i think i mean on the there's there's certainly a lot of discussion about whether we're measuring the right things when we're when we're looking at what what society values and i I often think it's quite interesting you think about the economic model we have as as a well across the world and you know, people like Adam Smith died well over 200 years ago, and yet we're still using that kind of theory. Just seems bizarre the amount of science and knowledge has expanded since then, um, which is a real challenge. Hmm. So, you know, there's a lot that can be done. There's a lot that businesses and and governments can do. I think if you if you treat something as an emergency the the kind of response we had during say the second or first world war where you know everything was kind of put together to tackle a big a big problem a very different problem but you know the advances in technology the the the, the way that the whole society jumped forwards by having that focus you know i i kind of feel like there there could be some big advances 1.5 is a massive massive challenge maybe not to that mm-hmm. level but rather than focusing all of our our minds on um certain political things going on at the moment actually focusing on something that matters and, and is a bit more inclusive is is quite a big step mm. do you think it's kind of working i mean as i kind of said earlier i've I've never seen so much discussion about the environment on on tv um, question time last night every single question went back to climate change it feels like they've managed to get that on the agenda whether they can sustain it for a while I don't know we're finally I think we've just had the first kind of discussion in parliament in over 10 years about climate change which just seems absolutely bizarre are you, are you feeling more optimistic yeah it's interesting what's happened isn't it so it's um it's a it's an effect of extinction rebellion I think absolutely uh Greta Thunberg has been making headlines around the world. There's something about her that the media are really interested in. Yeah. And she's she is obviously incredibly effective. She's a you know, she's an amazing orator. Her written speeches are incredibly direct and impactful and moving and important. And she she's undertaking um okay, she's known for the the school strike for climate. Yeah. But she's undertaking, you know, kind of international tours by a train. Um, there is something there is something happening. It might also, in terms of the media coverage, might be the case that they've just had a, a, a break from Brexit, which has been driving everybody nuts. <laughs> yeah. And so maybe they're just able to take a breath and think about something else. Right. There's the, um, there's a there's a gap in the market. And 
our, our mainstream media, our, our journalists uh, are more than willing to take uh, subjects a little bit across different beats or maybe there's been some relaxation in, in editorial guidelines, all that, I think. But you've also been seeing, you know, quite extraordinary editorials from, you know, uh, The Spectator or The Telegraph, which have been essentially in support of organisations like Extinction Rebellion. Yeah. Which I'd never, I never thought I'd, I'd see. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a general, a general appreciation that you know, yeah, this is serious, and no, we're not really doing anything about it. And so, who is, who is taking the lead, and what are we going to do? Um, and uh, yeah, I agree. I, I can't remember anything, experiencing anything like that. Um, well, not in my life. Um, so it, it's surprising. It's heartening. The job that we've got now is to capitalise on that and then get more people engaged or within you know, the effective climate change community or environmental community. So, yes, I've heard about this. Yes, I'm concerned about it. The crucial step is, yes, I'm going to do something about it. That's, that's the moment that I think we've got. I, I don't doubt that that moment is going to last forever. You know, the silly new season will come over the summer. Brexit is going to be back round in October. There'll be maybe a general election... So we've got this time right now. What can we do to maximise the inclusivity, you know, get more people engaged in what is essentially an international movement? Yeah. So I guess that goes into a lot of things that, you know, you've been doing for a long time. You know, you've been lecturing at universities, um, doing talks, running TED conferences, producing a film. This is the moment to kind of push these things forwards. Well, I suppose it was always the moment to push it forwards. The question is whether or not you're pushing on something which was opening already, right? Are you pushing yeah. on an open door yeah. or are you just hitting your head against the wall? Um, <laughs> so I've I've been on like demos or events where, you know, we're in, we're in some city centre and you're talking to some people and you've got a megaphone and there are some other folk with placards. It's usually drizzling and, you know, the weather's awful. Uh, and there's, I don't know, 20, 50, 100, 200 people. And all around you see folk walking past laden with shopping bags and just going about their their, their weekly shop in, 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 a, in a mall or something or a shopping centre. Yeah. Uh, completely oblivious and, and not interested, you know. So rallies and demos and events are important for the coordination and the activation of people who are already part of a movement but they can be pretty patchy in terms of success of getting new people essentially recruited to the cause yeah so um in terms of those sorts of activities uh, i've no idea what i'm doing <laughs> i've got no <laughs> idea i mean there's um i think an important i think an important role let's say for academics who work at a mainstream uk university is that you can offer an awful lot so many of the events I've become involved in were not my idea. There was something proposed by the community or someone uh, had an idea or there was an event happening anyway. And then it was a question of, well, how, how may we be able to facilitate that or help increase its impact or do something that would just uh, improve um the event in in some way either tell more people about it offer modest amounts of resource a location you know use some of the infrastructure of 
of a very large organization which is the typical modern uk university and through that that you just get engaged in lots of different things you meet lots of different people and you also i think also importantly you just listen to what people are saying about these subjects because certainly as an academic i come from a very you know potentially incredibly narrow perspective of what i think are the issues and what's important yeah the moment you actually step out the university you talk to people uh, you you can have a better idea of you know what is important, what's going to motivate people, and then I suppose the question is how can I then help that? What what's my what's my contribution to this thing or this activity or or uh, movement which already exists? I've had discussions with some local friends of the Earth groups who've been doing a lot of campaigning around air quality and maybe haven't been very scientific in how they've presented information is that Mm -hmm. is that a kind of challenge you have sometimes as an academic where you know people are very passionate they're keen to kind of put an argument forwards and maybe aren't too purist about that message yeah so there was a little bit of a discussion early this week about some of the claims being made by extinction rebellion activists with regards and actually even Greta I think one of Greta Thunberg's speech talking about you know 12 years until something yeah right 12 years and the 12 years in that instance is the comes from that IPCC special report we talked about earlier on 1.5 that's how long we've got in terms of burning uh, fossil fuels at our current rates and we've got 12 years before that budget goes now when I was uh, visiting Extinction Rebellion, we were on Waterloo Bridge and we were around Parliament Square, you see placards and you hear speeches. And are we going to subject those um, speeches to, you know, uh, critical analysis? Well, um, when anybody says we've got 12 years left to save the planet, well, that's depends on how you interpret that right because that's not true in 12 years the planet's going to be more than happy and also the biosphere generally um even in twelve thousand years if you wait long enough the biosphere will bounce back yeah the really the small print and those kind of signs or slogans is that we've got 12 years to save the planet so that it is habitable for our civilization that's really what we're getting at yeah we can humans can do pretty much what they want to the biosphere um and eventually and eventually might be in the orders of hundreds or thousands if not millions of years it will recover right most people get exercised about climate change because they appreciate that if we drive this earth system too hard it's going to change in ways which is going to basically bite us in the bum yeah um so you you can interpret some of those slogans like that i think now, some people argue that that's just being unnecessarily alarmist. Or, if in 12 years we have indeed blown the budget for 1.5, activists are going to be suddenly, you know, disillusioned because they'll wake up on a Monday morning and they're still here. You yeah. know, the, the earth hasn't exploded. Um, and that's going to potentially turn off a lot of people. Well, I have heard that argument and I just don't think that's really plausible or credible. I think the sense of urgency, and I think people like Greta and Extinction Rebellion and other um, activists really understand this, is the sense of urgency is not what's going to happen in 12 years' time. 12 years' time isn't a deadline, right? 12, 12 years' time is when this isn't when this thing should be, you know, we've got to start. 
you can imagine you've got some large assignment pretty much like your master's dissertation maybe jason <laughs> right you've got thousands of words to submit on i don't know what it was the 3rd of september what you don't do is spend all the summer doing other things and then try and write it on the 2nd of september yeah you know if we are serious about avoiding 1.5 then we have to start right now yeah we should have started 30 years ago but you know that's water under the bridge yeah. we have to start right now and if we don't start today then the job we'll have tomorrow is going to be greater and the job next week is going to be even bigger that's where the that's where the concern or the alarm is and i don't think that's alarmism so on the one hand yes some of the statements are are most probably not true in the context of what the science is telling us but i still think that they're completely correct to say that this is an emergency yeah okay so um just quickly what have you been doing about it then what's your are there things that you you're proud of things that haven't quite worked out what in a kind of a personal context yeah i guess in a kind of personal context or any other kind of bits and pieces you've been up to yeah, well, in terms of my personal carbon budget, it's something that I do think about. I don't really calculate it all that often. But as an individual, the big one is flying, and so I don't anymore. Yeah. I, I don't say that I I will never fly again. Um, I could always imagine situations or circumstances where I, you know, I would fly. But if I've got uh, meetings in the UK or Europe, then I will take the train. So I've been to the European Geophysical Union in uh, the big meeting there in April in Vienna. So you get the sleeper train. Yeah. I go to meetings in Berlin and Potsdam, um, in other places in Europe. And it's possible. You know, it takes a bit longer. Unfortunately, it's more expensive. Yeah. But if you can get your head around the idea of traveling slower, then, you know, it opens up a completely new way of, of getting around and also uh, managing work. So, yeah, I think in terms of certainly my profession, academia, I think it's university's dirty little secret that's going to become increasingly disclosed to the public just how much carbon gets emitted by academics. Yeah. You know, we are positively incentivized to jump on a plane to travel halfway around the world to give a 30-minute talk and then just to come back again because <laughs> it's all about academic esteem and impact and yeah. the other the other things that are used to to measure your performance as an academic so that's just crazy so one of the things i'm working on right now with some colleagues at exeter is a, a remote participation tool so it's going to be a facility which will allow people to have a telepresence at the University of Exeter and also for people at Exeter to have a telepresence in other places in the world. Because I'm still astounded by just how bad many universities are when it comes to remote participation. Yeah. You know, if you can get someone to get Skype on a laptop, that's wool, you know, and if you can get them to work out how to use it or even use a proper microphone so you can be heard and they can hear you. Yeah. It's it's just crazy. People assume that you're just going to jump on a plane or a train to attend these kind of meetings where there's absolutely no reason. Yeah. So that that's the travel aspect. Okay. Um, I cycle. I, um, I specifically decided where we were going to live. Um 
when I moved to Southampton, when I was working at the University of Southampton, to be able to cycle or walk to work, and we're in town, and we cycle or walk pretty much everywhere else. Yeah. Uh, I have not eaten or i typically don't eat meat i don't call myself a vegetarian and i typically don't eat dairy but i don't call myself a vegan either um but i typically don't eat meat or um dairy products and there's good reasons in terms of climate impacts there uh and if anything that's been beneficial because it makes you think about what it is you're eating and you tend to be a bit more mindful of your diet and so there's good impacts in terms of measurably costs and also health nutrition and tastiness uh fashion well that was you know i i'm i was amazed when i learned just how much resources are consumed by fashion because it's you know literally a sort of disposable activity where you've got people buying garments which they will seriously wear just once yeah. and then they'll bin because they're so cheap but when we look at the embedded carbon, you know, that was a T-shirt manufactured in you know, Sri Lanka or, or Thailand or something and then shipped all this way here. Fortunately, that's never been a problem for me because <laughs> I have no sense of fashion. And my idea of um, my clothes shopping is usually in charity shops. I'm, um, if I want a fancy shirt, I'll go to Winchester. It's a top tip. If you want good used shirts... Uh, Winchester is pretty good. Oh, you definitely um, have to pick your charity shop location, don't you? We, you do. We you were do. in um, Cardigan in Wales, and for some reason, the charity shops there are amazing. Um, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. It's, I've, I've always sort of, I mean, being a bloke, I'm a sort of stereotypical. I wear something until it falls to pieces, and then it's only really any use for recycling the threads. Um, but. I couldn't believe it. The amount of men's clothes, decent quality stuff in some of the charity shops there was was great. It's not yeah. I've I've that. picked. So you have to I've pick your up, location. Yeah, I've gotten practically brand new Levi jeans for five pounds, um, four ninety nine. Uh, actually, that was in um, British Heart Foundation Portswood Road, yeah. which is uh, which is a gem. There's a great strip of charity shops along there. Um, and also, I got uh, a sewing machine, um, and I will quite happily mend and adjust clothes yeah. now, which is quite, I find that very uh, relaxing and rewarding. You know, when you can fix something rather than just throw it in the bin, um, that's good. Um, yeah, and in terms of, I mean, I suppose my biggest, in terms of my personal uh, contribution to uh carbon emissions i mean in terms of the house yes it's got you know double insulation and wall insulation and you know we we've plugged up all the gaps and everything but most probably my biggest impact would be the the things that i buy right yeah. so when i buy a laptop or if i buy a new laptop or a computer um that's got that's got a lot of embedded carbon and also it's got lots of you know elements and minerals which are extracted from places in the world which produces all sorts of em environmental damage so there's more that i could do there absolutely yeah it's i guess it's it's one of those things it's learning about what the impacts are I mean, you said about fashion you know when you've when you realize something's an issue it's it's them finding ways to kind of deal with that and not kind of overwhelm yourself but have practical solutions to those things so yeah it's kind of there's there's an ever-ending list isn't there it's kind of um yeah just, um I, I would think of it like marginal gains focusing on the big things and then 
working your way down the list rather than trying to hit everything at the same time. Um, yeah. So how do we find out more? So, um, I mean, obviously people can sign up to go in, go in to Exeter University and do some of your courses, but um, I think I mentioned about your film that you produced a couple of years ago. That's something that's that's now available. The film, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Right, yeah. So uh, we started this project three years ago, it was. So I'd done... I, I knew a f- local filmmaker, uh, he's called Paul Maple, and his company's Global Documentary, and, and Paul has been making films for years. He, I think he initially started filmmaking on festival circuit, so he was doing films around Glastonbury and and quite some large um, bands and international stars, and he was doing you know films associated to those kind of events. And then he formed his own film company, and the kind of uh, films he wanted to make were films about the environmental movement whether it's you know um fair trade or climate change or you know local issues uh, that would be important for sense of community uh-huh. and i've been involved with paul in a number of projects beforehand uh, one of which was telex southampton where he does the filming and i'd also contributed to one of his documentaries called the litmus test which was about climate change and that was and around, we want that was around the paris COP21, wasn't it? The yeah. test. Yes. So they've, they've been doing quite a few big documentaries over, over quite a period of time. Yeah. And uh, we started having this discussion three years ago about, well, we want to make a film about climate change, but largely from a UK perspective. So it would be of interest to anyone in other countries, but we want something specifically about the UK and we want something which gets people engaged in becoming part of the solution. So it's, you know, we we felt that we were beyond making films or content that would try to convince people that climate change is a problem. Yeah. I think we're at, the, we're at the point when, yeah, we know that, right? We know that climate change is a problem. What people are completely clueless about largely is well, what, what am I meant to do about that? You know, the government doesn't seem to care about it. You have to kind of squint to see it being reflected in the mainstream parties' manifestos. The only expression I seem to have at the ballot box is green, which unless you live in Caroline Lucas's ward in Brighton is going to be a, a wasted vote. Or you might be able to get somebody on the council. And in the absence of that kind of systemic change, what you get left with is more kind of fragmented and isolated responses of, well, you know, I'll change my diet or I'll do this or I'll do that. And perversely, the more that you do that, the more sense of isolation and futility you get because you look around, right? So those demos, you know, we're talking amongst ourselves, but you know, there's thousands, hundreds, thousands of people just walking past. It can be very, very kind of, you can feel disillusioned, really. Yeah. So we, we wanted to make a film that didn't shy away from the risks of climate change, but wanted also to show, on the one hand, what your government, the UK government, and pretty much every industrialised government is effectively signing you and your descendants up to with regards to how we respond to climate change, which is important in negative emissions, but then also be something of a kind of a call to arms to say, well, now you can do something about this. If this worries you, if, if you think this is an emergency, well, then this is what you can do. So yes, there's a there's a film, but there's an important accompanying website which is climateracefilm.org, where you can learn the kind of actions that you can take, which will make uh, a difference, which will have an impact. 
and and you were quite lucky i mean you interviewed quite a few different people um some very famous environmentalists producing that um yeah so that, that was really mixed that was in, that was fortunate really mixed in the kind of local what people can do various different sectors what community groups are doing but then also um speaking to some of the kind of well you know kate radworth and people like that um it's yeah it's very impressive film thank you very much um, um are you to, it's i mean is that's so that's something that you can see via the website um i think i saw something online you were talking about people being able to do screening like public screenings and things yeah yeah so the model that we we've we're adopting is that um we've released it for free on youtube yeah so you can you can just you know climate race film and then you'll be there you can go to the website and you can watch the film it's embedded there uh, but we also want to promote community viewings so the the idea is that you will show the film in i don't know a church hall a community center a, a, a sports hall and a, and a school and then after that, so the film is only 39 minutes long, you can have a panel discussion or there can be a kind of like a town hall meeting. You can have elected representatives there. You can have community leaders, you know, wh whoever you think are going to be important to be included in that conversation. Yeah. Because I think that's a really important part about any sort of movement and certainly the climate change movement. You can do things as an individual and you can make a difference, but when you connect with other people, that's when you really do become a force for change. And there's a lot that we can do virtually. You know, we can follow people on Twitter and we can follow people on Instagram and we can join groups and we can sign electronic petitions, but there's still nothing like meeting people who have the same kind of interests and passions that you do in the real world in the flesh yeah. and you can make those kind of personal connections because it's collectively that will not only make a difference but we will also sustain those passions to be able to make the kind of scale of changes which are required that's brilliant um that really feels like a great point to end this <laughs> that's quite um a kind of inspirational kind of statement to sort of finish with so um thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me today um I'll put lots of links through and I'll put a link to your film and different bits and pieces. I don't know if there's anything else you want to kind of fit in, but um, other than that, just a, a massive thank you for um, both the time now and also the, you know, I've known you for a while and it's it's been really great to kind of see you talk, go to some of your events. Um, yeah, it's been, been great. So it's good to, good to kind of keep in touch and, and find out more. Yeah, it's been lovely. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to talk to your your listeners. And um, yeah, I th I think this this whole series of podcasts and, and what you're doing is is great. There's lots of different ways that we can connect and uh, with people and communicate these issues. So uh, more of this, please. It's wonderful. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Thanks, James. All right. Cheers. So that was James. James and his facts. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, that could have gone on for a very long time. I bet, I I bet he was like, Jay, I've got to go. Bye, Jay. Bye. And you yeah, were like, no, I... give me some more. <laughs> oh, my God. Our missing third member has arrived. <laughs> hello. Hello, everyone. <laughs> she made it. I finally made it. Work, working too much. Oh, good.
can't get her away from it. <laughs> love, nice to have you. Come and join us. Come and join us on climate change chat. Oh, excellent. You uh, are... from plastic from plastic to climate change. Indeed. Just did a in five minutes <laughs> so we've uh we've we've talked a bit about it already but uh you went to the protest as well didn't you sash so what was your experience of it i did i went on bank holiday monday um yeah you know various reasons why i got there so late um i was recovering from an operation but i managed to time it so well so i, I arrived at um marble arch station and i heard this wonderful familiar voice that was caroline lucas um, she was halfway through through a speech, so I, um, yeah, I basically ran to the stage, and um, and yeah, I I love I've, that's the second time I've heard her speak um, passionately about um, you know a cause. The one before was uh, Brexit, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I think she's incredible. Um, you know, and she, she's just yeah, she's somebody in Parliament mm-hmm. that I can relate to, and and speaks a lot of sense. Yeah. It was great that she took some time out to um, to join to join the uh, the cause. Yeah, absolutely amazing that there is at least one politician in that whole building that uh, came along and, and at least uh, listened. Yeah, there's a few. I think I saw some pictures of Ed Miliband oh, okay. out there kind of talking to some people. Okay. And there's been a few from all different coloured parties mm-hmm. I've seen out kind of talking. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a few, isn't it? But it's not it's not it's not um, the masses yet. Um but but it's good, it, you know. It, well, it's great. It's great to have people involved and people um, taking the time to to, to speak to the um, mm-hmm. to speak to um, extinction. Um, yeah, extinction rebellion. So we we earlier on we touched about what you could do if you wanted to have a personal impact um, and something that would actually make a difference. But I think we were talking together as well but it has to also we were talking about businesses and corporations and things like that so i didn't know if you wanted to touch on that a bit yeah because this is what i have in in my job in um you know the plastics movement you know because sometimes you you focus too much on the individual and then sometimes you know um there's there's too much on the on, on the business side of things and I think we've said in the previous podcast it's, it's, it's about tackling both mm-hmm. um, but yeah it, you know it, it's coming to a point where um, c- climate change should be you know be be at, at the forefront of what's being measured in companies you mm-hmm. know not just their profit line yeah um, and you know and, and and clearly because of it, so many individuals taking action or, or being really concerned about climate change you know pe- people want businesses to be acting mm-hmm. in a responsible and ethical way mm-hmm. exactly yeah finding those so, companies and shopping ethically is something you can also do um to help support those businesses that are thinking about it yeah and they're out there and sometimes it does take um you know t- t- you know take a bit of a search mm-hmm. but um but yeah, there, there, there are. Some, and I, I speak to some amazing companies that are looking both, you know, both at plastics and and the climate issue. Mm-hmm. So, so there are definitely out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think you know, there's some companies that have made a name for it. Like, um, is it Patagonia? The yes. I probably said mm-hmm. that wrong. <laughs> um, you know, they've got a really big reputation for doing environmental things. Mm-hmm. I think the CEO has talked about a tax cut in america and how she's gonna invest the whole lot into give it all to charity basically mm-hmm. um you know there's businesses that do that but then there's sort of day-to-day businesses who are um doing you know really good things mm-hmm. just as part of how they operate and mm-hmm. 
you know, some of that's reporting what they're doing and I um you probably see that such with some of the um companies that you speak to where they're starting to report on the amount of plastics they use and how much they throw away um yeah um it is very much um you know the company culture because you know that that drives that because um you know the government you know or regulation doesn't um, require people to do that um in terms of plastic anyway um but yeah it's great to see that companies take an initiative because it's the right thing to do exactly and and that makes it global you know if you're shopping overseas people keep talking about oh the UK aren't you know we're not that bad here and it's other countries they need to change their ways and you should be protesting in this country but you can affect those countries by stopping buying products from there if they're not an ethical if they're not thinking about their products yeah and that's but that's but that's uh, that's a key point to that isn't it you know we've moved from being a industrial factory kind of country in our economy being based on that to being one that's based on service industry and Mm -hmm. now absolutely and we still consume you know our population's grown we're still consuming loads of stuff Mm -hmm. but you know we're outsourcing outsourcing is what i was going to say we still we aren't if we know just because we're not producing them here doesn't mean we're not still a big part of what's going on elsewhere because yeah well, well essentially china is the manufacturer of the world mm-hmm. yeah so hence why their you know their emissions are so bad mm-hmm. and and their air quality is so poor mm-hmm. um so but yeah i think it's very easy to to forget um the impact we are having on on the world so you might be you know walking past these protests in london thinking you know why is this happening but you know there's a reason for it and just because it's you know I mean, the, the you know, our quality still isn't well. It should be, no. but you know, we should. It, you know, this affects everybody. Mm-hmm. So you know, we should be um, coming together to, to 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 improve. And you can't try and improve other countries and and fight for change if uh, you're not doing your best anyway. Yes. Yeah. I, I was um, saying the other day, and you might argue with me here because you are in the plastics world, is that have people found it easier? to tackle plastic like in, in their own homes because they can see they can see it you know i know that we've we're getting reports on uh storms and the the weather getting worse in in certain areas of the world but i'm not sure they're reporting it in a way that kind of suggests that as much it's kind of just like oh they're having bad weather you know or you know people are dying in these places where the weather is getting extreme and with plastic, they can see it here. They get, the, you know, the pictures. Uh, they've got it in their house, and it's outside in the street. You know, you can see the monster. If, I, if I'm just going to call it a monster, you know. Whereas um, climate change isn't. You know, you could go about your day to day life and not watch the news about you know what's happening at the other side of the world, and not you just oh I've got a slightly warm weather in March. You know, it's just and people celebrating yeah, that. I don't know why you think I'd argue that point. It's, it's absolutely. Like, I think the reason why plastic movement has taken off before climate change, even though climate change, like you just said, mm. has been you know known about for many years, mm. um, is the fact that people can see it mm. and it's it's tangible and they can do something about it. Mm. And to be honest, that's probably one of the reasons why I've got into um, into plastics because I'm you know I've been I was a bit interested in the environment you know overall, mm-hmm. but. I felt like because I use plastic in my everyday life and I understand my relationship with it, um, 
that I, I could then help other people mm-hmm. reduce their plastic. Yeah. Um, you know, telling people the air is polluted where it looks fine, apart from, you know, you get a haze over London every now and again, mm-hmm. um, you know, is, is, hard, is a harder sell to people and, and harder for them, to, you know, to, to help them to take action. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I yeah, completely agree with the points you made. Yeah, so, I, I actually think the one of the reasons why, you know, Extinction Rebellion... Um, took on is because of other environmental things. So I think it, it you might find that a lot of people have kind of got drawn in, have started to consider the environment because of plastics being so high on the agenda. And yeah, I think it's definitely that. played its part in raising awareness that we're, what we're doing right and our lifestyle right now isn't sustainable. Absolutely, we call it like a, a gateway, mm. um, and uh, it's a case of if you can make people aware of the environmental impact that they're having, then surely it it should le- lead not to such a climate far, change. Yeah. It, that's not in every case. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do have a worry um, about plastics that because of the points that you've just made, it's an easier thing for companies to focus on and look like they're doing really well. Mm-hmm. And it is great that they are taking the initiative to address plastic. But if fundamentally they're... Um, business is more focused, you know, um, if, you know, are producing a high amount of carbon emissions, yeah. then actually um, they'd be better focused on, on climate change. Yeah. Mm. And that, we've seen that with our government. You know, mm-hmm. I'm very critical of some of the things that um, go through our, our government at the moment. And, you know, they've been quite quick to jump on banning um, microbeads and a few things. Um but then they've they've not been doing anything really progressive on climate change, and you kind of think, you know, sure, plastics was high on the agenda, but but at what point did we decide we were going to take our foot off the gas? Mm. Um, yeah. Probably the wrong analogy, but <laughs> if anyone yeah. hasn't watched uh, the Jonathan Pye um, his video on Extinction Rebellion, oh, I do yeah. recommend that you go and give that a watch. Uh, if you yeah. if you uh, have any doubt about, um, he might not be a real reporter, but he really does speak some truths, <laughs> doesn't he? Yeah. Um, it's it's very worth a watch. Yeah. If it wasn't so serious, it'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I think I don't know. I'm feeling more positive than you are, Corinne. I, I kind of feel. I'm not like... not positive. I'm just so. I'm just so um, ready for more, ready to keep the momentum going. You know, I'm, like, oh, yeah. I'm going into Southampton, uh, Extinction Rebellion, Southampton, and meeting tomorrow in Southampton, and I'm going. I've convinced someone who I was meant to be seeing them, um, and I was like, sorry, can't go, the planet's calling. Um, and then I'm like, but you can come. And they were like, okay, maybe. And then they said, yeah, okay. And I was like, brilliant. They would never have gone to this on their own. So brilliant. There you go. And See? and Dawn, who's been on the podcast before, I'll be meeting Dawn there as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's when normal people start going. Isn't that great, though? A community's forming. Yeah. You know, so that, and that is happening all over the world. I mean, I didn't, you know, I've been keeping an eye on their Instagram and, you know. Oh my it's... God, have I? This is why we're not doing um, the Challenge Me update on this episode it will have to be another one because i've been on my phone more than i've ever been on my phone ever because well, there's of, a reason for it yeah and i don't feel ga- bad about it at all <laughs> <laughs> well that was one more episode done um hope you enjoyed that a massive thank you for james for the interview and just 
so much information about climate change and various different things you can get involved. Um, as usual, you can check out more of the podcast by subscribing via um, your usual kind of apps, so iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram um, or even um, Twitter. So um, stay in touch and uh, look forward to um, maybe hearing from you with some ideas about how to make a better future. Thanks. Thanks.